Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. A choice right now, right now, between fear and love. It's just a run. Out of the dark night of ignorance and into the shining light of truth. Expanding reality. A population of citizens capable of critical thinking. We don't see things as they are, we see them as we are. There's a, a level of reality where everything dissolves into an ocean of energy. We empower our experience by insisting on our authenticity. That's really profound. Very Expanding reality. Welcome to Expanding Reality. I am your host, Brandon Thomas. On this episode, guys, I got a chance to sit down with Barbara Mango and Lynn Miller. They are co-authors of this amazing book called Convergence, The Interconnection of Extraordinary Experiences. They cover four main experiences in here. They do um, out-of-body experiences, near-death experiences, UAP or UFO phenomena, and past life memories. It is a fascinating book uh, written by two, as uh, Barbara will tell you, um, Experiencers first and then uh, scientists second. So they are very deep and entrenched into the experiential nature of these extremely extraordinary phenomena and the interconnection of all of them. And it is a wonderful episode, guys. We have a fantastic conversation. Uh, Enjoy the hell out of it as I did. And uh, thank you all so much uh, for listening. So without any further ado, Barbara Mango and Lynn Miller. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is my great pleasure to introduce Barbara Mango and Lynn Miller to the show. They wrote an incredible book, Convergence, The Interconnection of Extraordinary Experiences. I have poured over this book. This is it right here. Um, absolutely love it. Thank you all so much for sending me a beautifully signed copy. I wrote some very sweet messages in here, and I am grateful. So I have uh, gone through your book like crazy. I cannot wait to talk to you about it because it is fantastic. It is exactly what we need right now as far as the mar- marrying between the physics and the philosophy, the science and the experience. This is, I think, the most important thing we're going into right now is because this is what will validate all of this stuff. So, uh, Barbara, we'll start with you. If you don't mind, just tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll uh, we'll get into it. Okay. Um, well, I have a PhD in metaphysics, uh, which I got after working in the educational field for a long time, and I ended up falling and breaking my back, so I could no longer work in education. And I sat there and I thought, you know, what can I do? I have to sort of reshuffle my life, right? And go inward. 
So I was thinking about it, thinking about it, and I'm a total learning nerd. Like I love, love learning. So I thought, you know, God, what if they could teach or I could find a program that takes me back to who I am, you know, as a ex- lifelong experiencer, and I could actually research and study this stuff. So I started thinking and thinking about it, and I found a program in metaphysics that had a master's and PhD program. And I started taking the classes and like each one was cooler than the next. And I just, I loved it. I I literally couldn't put the books down. So after I graduated from that, I've been writing. I've written a few articles. I've written uh, chapters for other books. Lynn and I worked on the Edgar Mitchell Research Foundation together. I'm a board member of the Past Life Research Institute. And this was our debut book, Lynn and I, when working on the Edgar Mitchell Research Foundation, we not only had a lot of commonalities personally, but we had a total connection as far as how we view, you know, consciousness being non-local. And we decided to write a book about it. And that was three years ago. And here we are. It's a fantastic book. Like I said, I'll, of course, my uh, the uh, audience here knows that I will be linking that in the show notes. So you guys could just click below in the description there and find that book out. Now, the Edgar Mitchell Foundation, Edgar Mitchell, of course, is the sixth man to walk on the moon, allegedly. Correct. Um, so, <laughs> so, Lynn, uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself, darling. Oh, yes. From a very young age, I've always been interested in the paranormal. I would have dreams and dreams of all kinds of things. As a matter of fact, when I was young, it was very difficult for me to um, tell the difference between reality and and not reality because I had 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 so many strange experiences. So later in life, you know, I actually did become quite normal and I got a, a dual degree in psychology and biology. And then I started teaching college biology laboratories and then i got my master's in biology and i've worked in my field as microbiologist and then i had my daughter sort of later in life and i decided to go into teaching secondary education so i've done quite a bit of that i have about 12 years experience teaching high school elementary Mm -hmm. science i'm also certified in art and i teach art also and um I guess the really huge paradigm shift for me occurred around 2006 with, um, you know, I happened to come upon a movie called What the Bleep Do We Know? And, you know, it's about quantum physics and our reality. And that pretty much changed everything. I started to read more books, get into spirituality, meditate more. And I also noticed that I was having more and more experiences, which ended up becoming out-of-body experiences, which I've had had all my life and through books and through different groups. And with the help of many people, I've learned how to control them. And um, that kind of brought us up to, you know, when how me and Barbara met with um, the Free Friend Foundation, which is the Dr. Edgar Mitchell. And then she sort of explained how we were writing a chapter for Beyond UFOs and we decided to write our own book. And that's how it came to be. 
so cool. And like I said, fantastic book, ladies. I've, I've literally poured over it uh, quite a bit here, um, especially because this is our third time to do this. So I want to <laughs> uh, let the audience in on a fun little thing that we've been just having a little game with. So uh, first time that we tried this was a little bit ago, and we had a bunch of technical problems. I could not get my shit together in the studio. Something was happening, and we just had to shut it down. It's just one of those things, right? I, and then we had another one scheduled, and then all of a sudden, uh, Lynn decided that her appendix was useless and wanted to explode on her. And so the day that we were to record, uh, she decided just to go in the ER. And I said, look, just if you don't want to do the show, just don't, you know, just tell me, right? But and so it is third time's a charm. And um, not for nothing, it is we're in Mercury in retrograde right now. So, mm, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, we'll that's see. scary. We'll see. <laughs> so far, so good. So we're having fun. No, you ladies are fantastic. Y'all have been such good sports with rescheduling and stuff like that. And of course, Lynn, we're glad that everything's okay. Do you feel lighter? Do you feel more aerodynamic now that you've gotten that out? <laughs> it's not all out yet. Okay, gotcha. So I have to go back into the hospital and they're gonna they're gonna put another tube in me. So it's, it's quite not over yet. I've been really, I've been meditating over it, you know, um, trying to bring in the universe and energy to help cure all this, but I am feeling pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. So while most kids are out at the pools with an inner tube, you're going to have an inner tube installed in you. Okay. Interesting. Um, yes, yes. Sort all of. right. Well, I, yeah. now let's, let's get into the deep shit now, ladies. So, um, you okay, Barbara? <laughs> okay. I, I told you this is humor hour. Okay, I'm controlling myself. <laughs> Giddy, and we're having a good time with it. So um, let, let's let's break it off here, girls. Uh, so I'll, I'll start with you, Barbara. So uh, what do you think the physical world is? Do you think that that's all there is? Or do you think that there's something extra perceptionary outside of what we can conceive with our five senses? Oh, I absolutely think that. I think the physical world to me is very confining. It's very dense, consists of five senses. And once a person has had any type of spiritual or extraordinary or paranormal, or anything you would call it experience where you're outside of your body, not necessarily having an out-of-body experience, but where you're having an experience that occurs outside of time and space as we know it on Earth, that's heightened. It, I call it realer than real because it really is. It's so intense. It's profound. It's life-altering. Um, and I personally experience these in multi-dimensions. Now, this isn't something I can do in everyday three-dimensional consciousness. And I've been given information, um, like downloaded telepathic information that I never would have known. You know, it's beyond my scope of knowing. And so from the time I was a small child, because my first experience happened when I was two, I was aware even at two, there was part of my brain that was saying, okay, okay, like you're two years old, man, you should be playing with dolls. Like <laughs> instead I'm getting telepathic communication about really universal topics from, I called her a guardian angel or a spirit guide. She may have been a non-intelligent human being, but she came to visit me when I was two. So that's when all this started. So from childhood, I, I've never been able to conceive, right, 
of consciousness that is just localized to the brain. That just is not in my paradigm. It never has been. Um, so that's how I view it. I love the idea. And then I want to, yeah, sorry. No, 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 please go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and you know, once you have these experiences, right, and they're just, and you've probably heard this a million times, but you really, you can't put them into words. It's so confining, you know, language. But when you come back, you feel like you're just smashed and smushed into this really dense, limited body, right? And you realize how expansive and unlimited consciousness really is. And it's a little disappointing, <laughs> but we have to live in the real world, right? So that's my view on it. And like I said, it was formed in childhood from a very, very young age. Hmm. Have, have either of you ladies been to the Grand Canyon? I've flown over it in a prop plane, you know, like for a tour, a sunset, you know, flyover, but I've never actually been to it. Okay. So you were great. Uh, you were Grand Canyon adjacent. Lynn, have you ever been to the Correct. Grand Canyon? No. No. Okay. It's one of these things. What you were just explaining, Barbara, <laughs> that's how it feels. It's, I could not tell you what it's like to go to the Grand Canyon. I've been twice. It's fascinating. It's Mm -hmm. mind-blowing the scope of it you'll see pictures it does not do it when you're standing there on the precipice of this damn thing it's insane how massive and grand it is right so it's kind of like these experiences uh, lend themselves to the idea of trying to explain something as majestic as the grand canyon or something as profound as a psychedelic experience because you can't really explain those either uh not to any validity right and they would just fall short so um barbara or Lynn, rather, uh, we've already been talking about uh, the non-locality of consciousness, but tell me a little bit more about that. Is that the idea that we are just more like receivers um, or transmitters of something that we're just kind of passing through consciousness, like we're a conduit for it? You know, there's different ways of explaining that. It's, it's almost like, um, let's say, you know, our physical brain and what we view as our physical brain is definitely a conduit to it you know, sort, sort of like a dampening field, because I feel like, you know, we are interdimensional beings. You know, we exist outside of this physical reality and that our brains are able to, you know, help us with this type of reality that we're living in. You know, of course, you know, through process of evolution and certain things, you know, we, you know, in a normal waking consciousness, you know, are pretty present in this type, in this physical reality. Because if we weren't, you know, think of, you know, a time when the saber-toothed tiger might have been trying to attack us and, you know, we had to be really present. But um, yes, I mean, I feel like that our consciousness is non-local. It is outside of our physical brains. It exists interdimensionally. Um, how do I know this? I mean, I know that, you know, through certain science, um, investigations, you know, they feel that consciousness is very um, quantum in, a, in a, you know, is, has, very, has a lot of quantum effects to it. And um, I do know that through the experiences that I have had, and like you said, it's sort of like looking, you know, like being present in the Grand Canyon, you know, when you have these, when I have these experiences where I actually exit out of my body, and I'm inside the inner dimensions, it's, it's just a completely different environment. You know, time doesn't exist. You know, there, you know the, the, the laws of physics no longer exist. 
it is, you know, quite amazing to be able to experience this via non-local consciousness. You know, and I'm always jealous, honestly, about these type of experiences. I talk about this stuff all the time. I've never had one extraordinary experience to speak of, right? Uh, psychedelics withstanding, that's something uh, that was self-influenced, right? Or self-induced. So, but I, I want to believe, uh, and no, I totally believe what you're saying, but I want to experience like you have, because yeah. what you guys talk yeah. about sounds like the damn Grand Canyon. You know, I want to go check it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was told to me as well, look, you, you're not going to be able to understand this until you experience it. And that's, that's something I'm very curious about. So do you think that everybody can do this or because I've heard people talk about supernatural abilities as just being natural because they are natural for them, right? But they would be supernatural to somebody that doesn't understand the concept or even somebody like me that's very interested in the concept, but has not experienced it. So um, do you guys, what do y'all, what do y'all think about that? I, what I about like, your dreams? Do you have vivid? This is what's weird too. I don't do you really, have vivid dreams? I don't really dream that much. This is what's weird too. It makes me feel like an NPC, like a non-playing right. character or like a clone or something. Cause I heard that <laughs> if you're a clone, you don't have dreams. Now, I will have dreams on uh, if I'm coming down from psychedelic experiences, for sure. Those are very cool. But I don't know how much of that's the residual light show from the experience. You know what I mean? And not necessarily a dream because the lines are pretty blurred between the experiences, right? But as far as just cool dreams and lucid dreams and stuff like that, I don't experience that either. So what's that? Am I a clone? Am I a non-playing character in this simulated reality? What's going on, man? Barbara, do you want to... Barbara, do you want to talk about the, um, do you want to talk about the personality types? Yeah, this? I'll say a few things. Well, first, first of all, Brandon, you should meet my husband because he swears he doesn't dream every night. Oh, I never had any dreams, but everybody dreams, right? We all dream. Just some of us don't remember them. Um, I dream really vividly in color. It's like so vivid, but I wake up, I don't remember. Um, to answer your question, I think it's like anything, and I've, I've mentioned this before as far as like, I, you know, I always wanted to sing, right? I sound like a dead frog or a worm trying to sing. And, and you know, everybody can sing. I mean, anybody can open their mouth. And I mean, I quote, but I'm never going to be like, you know, a Lady Gaga, Christina Aguilera. We, so we all have that ability, right? It's just some come into the world with a, I, you know, like a greater dose or more attuned or and I hate to say gifted because I don't like to use that term. Um, but I believe we're wired differently. I believe we maybe have a higher bright vibration. And um, I know this is what Lynn was referring to. Um, there is a personality type that is prone to having these experiences. And not everybody fits this type. But most experiencers do. I know I do, and I know Lynn does. And basically, one of the criteria is coming from a really difficult childhood. Um, and this can be many things. It can be a childhood filled with abuse, either physical, emotional, or sexual. It can be uh, and one just profoundly, really you know, horrific memory that's seared into your, your mind. Like, for example, my husband, when he was growing up, his grandmother was living with him at the time. And they were in the room together talking, and she dropped dead on the floor. 
of cardiac arrest. And his mother was who, who was a nurse was trying to resuscitate her to no avail. And that really scarred him. He hasn't had experiences, but something like that could trigger. The other thing is a child that has a rich imagination and is prone to disassociation. But what I talk about in the book is that disassociation is also a psychological coping mechanism, right? So if we come from a really difficult, stressful, hard childhood, a lot of us develop disassociation, right? We just space out, block it out. Um, so that's a, that kind of is a fine line. You know, is it because of our childhood or is it just something else that's hardwired into us? Um, on top of that, we tend to be easily hypnotized, you know, can just zone out. I zone out all the time. Just not <laughs> try to, especially when I drive, but it just happens. It's like I can't. I can't stay focused a lot. We're very imaginative, creative. A lot of us are artists or writers or whatever in the creative field. We're usually uh, a little rebellious and um, we, we go against the grain. We're very, we're really fair oriented. We, we hate to see um, anything that isn't fair. We're, we're almost obsessed with justice so to speak um we are very we tend to be very strong-willed and we think outside the box so a lot of those qualities in and of themselves don't lend themselves to um you know the norm norm behavior and and then under this umbrella of like the anomalous phone personality there it breaks it down into two pieces it's just like a tree with say a few branches coming off and one of them is the fantasy prone personality and that's just a personality type that obviously is prone to a rich imagination fantasizing fantasizing and all that and when i was young my mom um told me I was fantasizing all the time. She never believed my experiences. She'd say, oh, you have such a rich, you know, rich imagination. You're, you're such a fantasizer. So I became like labeled the fantasizer. And um, the other is the highly sensitive person, uh, which it's, you know, a lot of people think that's just a person who's overly sensitive. You know, I get that all the time, but it's not just that. It's not that we are very sensitive, and we're usually empaths and can pick up on the feelings and vibes of the people we're around, the space we're in, um, sometimes even the, the ground that we stand on. But it also means not only are we, we take in that energy, but we also affect others. We affect electronic equipment. So it's a dual thing. Uh, energy affects us. Emotion affects us. And then our emotion and energy affects, especially me, I'll say it blows out laptops, lights flicker, my phone's always having problems, um, it, you know, things like that all the time. So every single thing except the electronic stuff applies to me, the childhood stuff, uh, the uh, externalizing uh, the crave for justice and uh, intolerance of injustice, all of the things that you just said describe me. Um, but I have had zero experiences. So is it maybe just that I'm not paying attention and that they're around all the time, or maybe I'm that one, you know, zero, 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 one percent of but, the one that checks all the boxes that doesn't get to experience this cool stuff? Brandon. Yes, ma'am. 
Don't you experience synchronicities all the time? Now, that is the thing, right? And this is the one, um, because I, I consider extraordinary experiences what you talk about, about it, like in your book, about the NDEs, about the out-of-bodies, the past mm-hmm. life memories, which is fascinating, and okay. anything UFO or UAP related. But as far as being a manifester, I am great at that. Like, I can summon crazy shit into my See, life all the time. That's, yeah, but that's, that's part that's of it. That's it? <laughs> Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't know yeah. that. Oh. Yeah. Well, yep. dope. I'm in the club, lady. Sweet. I mean, yeah. Okay. Well, I'll take it. And that's a that's a great point. You know, and I, I so, don't yeah. necessarily Absolutely. consider it extraordinary. Absolutely. I just I just consider it part of figuring it out, like figuring out yeah. the matrix or this reality or whatever. And I just think that, not of course for the most part, but I've got a good good bead on it. You know, I've got a good way of um, kind of like I said, manifesting in my reality. It's been it's been awesome. So uh, that's a good point, Lynn. Thank you. Way to go. Okay. Well, I mean, that's that's extremely uh, that's extremely powerful because you know when we're in um, like when I'm doing an out of body experience, I can manifest things quite fast, extremely fast. This is all dimensions. See, I look at this physical dimension. It's a dimension, and you're able to manifest things. You know, that's 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 amazing. That really is. That's a damn good I mean, point. you're definitely in tune to, you really are, yeah. I'll take it. See, I told you, ladies, I love y'all. Y'all are great for me. Yeah, um, thank you, and, so. and it's, yeah it's like amazing. And your energy, you, you know, obviously you have very, how I look at it, powerful energy field. And you're, if you can manifest, in my mind, you know, your, your energy is actually interacting with everything there is, right? And you're, you're shifting and forming and changing it with intention, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of, I think there are many people that think, oh, I can't, you know, I can't do that. I have like no gifts. I, I, I'm like pulling a blank here. But it's, it's not like narrow. It's so broad based, Brandon. And, and what you're describing is definitely a part of this big time. Okay. It's pretty dope. And I like yeah. that. And I don't, I don't he's, like- he's engaging, you're, in, you're engaging the magic. You're a musician. Yeah. You're like a wizard. Damn right. I tell my wife this all the time, but she doesn't listen. No, no. <laughs> you know a magic, right? She's like, ah, settle down. <laughs> um, she, she's there to balance me out, and it's a perfect balance. It's very cool. So, um, okay, what was I going to ask? It was something super dope. Um, okay, well, Lynn, let's talk about your experiences um, in your out-of-body uh, May 19th of uh, 2011. My notes are very small here. 2011. Oh my gosh. <clears throat> is is this the one? <clears throat> sorry. Is this the one where I saw beings, you know, next to my bed? Yes. Yes. Was that the one? Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Okay. Yeah. It, it's, it's hard to, you know, I feel like, um, okay. When it comes to people experiencing, uh, let's just say extraterrestrials or uh, other types of beings. You know, I feel like a lot of this, these types of experiences occur during probably out of body experiences. Now, if this is the particular one that you, <clears throat> you know, cause I'm not looking at the book, so I can't re- really remember which one, cause I have, I've recorded hundreds of OBEs in my OBE journal. Um, but it's like um, I was laying in bed and I raised up and there were three beings standing next to my bed. And I remember, you know, I was I was um, my daughter was younger. She was sleeping in the bed with me 
And I didn't feel afraid. I kind of felt startled a little bit. And I kind of looked at her and made sure she was okay. And I lifted up my hand and I touched, you know, being in the, in the chest. And it was really strange because you're, you're probably thinking, okay, I should be freaking out. I should be like, you know, ah, but it was as if so many times already I was relaxed and it's like, okay, this is happening again. And, um, so I just lotly just sort of just laid back down and went to sleep. <clears throat> now, I think a lot of people could probably think that this might have been an experience in the physical reality. You know, I'm not quite sure if it was or not. I feel like a lot of these types of experiences that we have with um, non-human intelligent beings occur in the ethereal plane, and which is the uh, plane that is closest to our physical body. And that is a way that we, that they communicate with us. So when we're speaking of aliens and extraterrestrials, I call them non-human intelligent beings because, you know, some of them look quite different than us. Some of them have, you know, are humanoid. Some of them are human. So um, if that's, if that was the experience that you were talking about, yeah, it was quite profound, but I've had so many different ones where I've, where I've experienced, I've gone to different worlds. I have experiences with my spirit guides where they're teaching me things. And one of those is manifestations, you know, being able to create things and change things. Others is to create portals to other worlds. Cool. So I've had many different kinds. Yeah. Yes. And it's interesting what you say about the experience happening in the ethereal, um, because I had a, a guy on um, named Ronald Kinsella. Uh, and Ronald Kinsella is a part of a twin duo. Him and Philip are twin brothers. They're both experiencers. They're both authors. They're both wonderful. Um, and so whenever Ronnie had his experience, what he talked about was is that his astral body is what they kind of took to a ship or to a vessel or something like that. And that's why you're able to transmute through walls and doors and physical matter because you vibrate outside of that in a different level. That's what's interesting to me. The so the abduction, some of the abduction phenomena uh, may take place in the ethereal and it's got nothing to do with your physical body whatsoever. That's fascinating to me. Absolutely. I am. I, I am. I mean, um, <clears throat> the interdimensional hypotheses is the one that I believe in. That's the one that I research. You know, you can call it, you know, there's the extraterrestrial hypotheses because, you know, you know, we're looking at some pretty cool things going on in the world right now, you know, about the you know, about the UFOs, the UAPs and stuff. But yeah, I, I, I definitely go into the interdimensional hypotheses where a lot of these contact experiences with what we were we view as aliens, including their ships and being taken aboard are actually ethereal or astral projections. And it, it, that does not say that they are not real because they're very real. Exactly, really right? Do. Because they're able to mess with you kind of on the level right. of the soul mm -hmm. or the spirit level where you tap into this little avatar, because mm -hmm. that's all this is, yes. right? This physical mm -hmm. avatar, that's all it is. Uh, it, it's fascinating to me. I had a guy named Paul Askoff on the show. He wrote a book called UFOs, The Real Story. Fascinating guy. But he did this. He tied everything together. We actually... I spoke to you ladies the first, the day that I recorded that episode. And I think I spoke to y'all that afternoon and my mind was blown because that was the first time we'd actually all three spoken together. And it was on the heels of this great awareness with this interdimensional hypothesis, which I love. It, it ties everything together. And so the more I think about it, the more sense it, it makes, right? Barbara, what do you think about that? I haven't had an out-of-body experience. I have had no 
contact in that manner. Mine was like more a, I did have a sighting that has been verified by um, uh, the government. And it happened when I was 10 years old in Kansas City. Uh, but mine was your stereotypical sighting, right? And I did have telepathic communication with the quote occupants inside. Um, so that's my take on it. It's just what I saw visually, what I experienced, the information downloaded to me um, and all that. And it was beyond, it, I mean, it blew me away. I don't know if you want me to share that experience or not. I, I would love that, please, yeah. Okay, well, I was living in Kansas City at the time and um, we were having like really unusually hot weather. It was March. And I remember it being like in the 80s, like really, really hot. And... <laughs> My parents were like slaves to our yard. I mean, it had to be like perfect. It looked like like a home beautiful yard, right? And so my sister and I who just wanted to go outside and play, like we were like forced to do yard work. So anytime it was nice, that's it. You go outside, you do yard work. So I was outside with my father. And in the Midwest where we lived, there were very small plots. You know, we had like maybe a quarter of an acre. So the homes were very close to one another. Right. And you could sort of shout out to your neighbor and go, hey. So all the neighbors were outside because it was gorgeous. I mean, it was like summer. Right. And a lot of them were doing yard work or just talking or whatever. And it was a cloudless, cloudless, gorgeous day. And I was raking and all of a sudden the ground got really dark. Like, you know, a, a vicious storm is coming and the clouds are so thick and it's, it's not as dark as night, but almost. And I'm thinking, what? What's going on, man? I mean, like, it's a beautiful day. It's like really sunny. So I looked up. My father looked up. Everybody looked up in the neighborhood, you know, and there was an enormous disc, enormous. Um, you know, I was 10 and I'm, I'm trying to remember it very realistically, but it, it at minimum, it was the size of two football fields. And that's minimum. And it was circular, totally circular. And it was a sort of um, like a brushed chrome, I guess that's the way you could brush stainless steel. Um, and it was, it looked like it was very thin, really, really thin. It wasn't a lot of the, you know, the cartoons or whatever, you know, the characterizations of them, they're, they're thicker or they have a little, little, you know, thing on top. It wasn't like that at all. It was extremely thin, but I could tell even though I was little and I was short, I, I could kind of tell from the angle that there were little windows all around, you know, the circumference of it. And the thing is, is it just appeared like it was a sunny, gorgeous day. And then it got dark, meaning nobody heard it approach. Right. So here I am, a little kid. I hadn't learned this in school. And I said to myself, oh, my God, it just appeared. That means that it traveled faster than the speed of sound. And I just knew that. And I just stood there absolutely mesmerized. And, you know, you're kind of looking at your neighbor and looking at this one, and they're all standing there staring up at the sky with our mouths were open. I had no fear, zero, none. In fact, to be honest, ever since I was little and started having experiences, I kind of was annoyed. <laughs> Honestly, I'd been asking and asking and asking to see a sighting. No, seriously. And I never saw one. So I was kind of getting annoyed. Like, God, guys, can't you like <laughs> pop in and visit me? And I'm serious. So I had no fear. And I think I said to myself, oh, my God, you finally came. Like, it took you long enough. And then it 
the thing is, so it was so low. It was maybe, I, and again, I'm really trying to not spin the perspective because I was so young. I would say probably 500 feet above us, maybe lower. So you could see it perfectly. And then all of a sudden I started getting this telepathic, you know, conversation. And I didn't know if it was from one being or several beings, but I was just being told that, you know, there's no need to be afraid. And I was saying, I'm not. And they said, yeah, we know that. And then they were telling me that they're really, really concerned. Um, and you've probably heard this many times ecologically, you know, that we really, really have to get our butts in gear and start taking care of the earth. And they said, but you know that already, but you need to tell people that. I'm like, okay. And then they started talking about how we were going to land on the moon. This hadn't happened yet. So I'm dating myself, but <laughs> how we'd be landing in the moon. And after that, we would start going on further missions and we'd start actually collecting like lunar dust and lunar rocks to examine them. And, and they gave me further information about what was going to happen, like with the space program. And I just said, OK, well, thank you. And then they they reminded me once again to please spread that message, because that was our number one concern. And to also tell people to not be afraid because they were just observing. And actually, they said, we're just observing you like you will be observing the moon and the moon dust and the moon rocks. And I never took my eyes off of it, not for one second. And it was gone just gone. And then I said to myself, oh, my God, first, it came faster than the speed of sound. But it also traveled faster than the speed of light. Because nobody you, you couldn't see it leave. And there's no way like I didn't understand those scientific concepts when I was 10. I hadn't learned them. And um, it was absolutely amazing. So it was very real to me. My father was with me all my neighbors. It was briefly in the Kansas City paper. But you know how you kind of doubt yourself at some level because I was a child. So when when we were working, um, Lynn and I were working on the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Foundation, I was told about um, the Blue Book Project, which contains, oh my gosh, it's enormous. I forgot how many tens of thousands of, of cases it it contains, but the government investigated many, 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 many claims of UFO sightings, and most of them were discredited. They were either like a weather balloon or another plane or, you know, whatever. And this one, this one was a real deal. And um, it was absolutely the real deal. And then I went back and I also checked historically, you know, Kansas City weather, because I remembered it being a really warm day, right? So I wanted that other piece. Okay, yes. It was declassified. Yes. Okay. Check. It matched. It was verified. And when I went back and looked at the weather, Kansas City had a record-breaking heat spell that lasted 10 days in March. And it was the hottest on that particular day. I can't remember which day it was. I think it was like March 20th, and it was in the 80s, like the mid-80s. And I thought, okay, now I have my pieces. I remember the weather, why I was working outside in the yard, and then you know, it couldn't be disproved by the government. And, you know, it was nice to have that validation all these years later. It really was. Well, that would be cool, too, is if it's something you could summon, like CE5 people, you know, with the uh, lasers and stuff like that, and they can kind of bring UFOs down. That'd be nice on, like, the hottest day of the year. You summon a two-football-wide UFO to give you some shade <laughs> while you're working in the yard, you know what I mean? 
I mean, I'm in you Texas. Know? That that would be useful. I could really deal with that. It, it, Even if that's my only experience, was. right? I'd be like, damn, these aliens are helpful. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, what's interesting about uh, the UAP and the UFO phenomena is how many shapes they come in, how many sizes they come in, how many different descriptions of them. Their propulsion and their capabilities always, they, they follow a certain pattern which defy all of our capabilities right now. Like we can conceptualize, but we can't do it. Um, but what's interesting about this is, is that you hear different reports. People will talk about uh, that claim to have been in a UFO and say that there's no windows anywhere, but the wall turns into like a screen, like the whole damn thing. But then there are others that claim to have windows. So it's like, is that just a, a crappier model, you know, like an earlier one where they had to have windows on it, you know? It's like the Pinto to the Tesla kind of a deal, like they've come a long way. And a variety of them are really interesting too. Lynn, what do you think? Has there been some evolution in the UFO over the years? <clears throat> I think that, you know, um, I'm trying to remember the book that I have recently read about um, how, you know, how we view these things kind of changes with our culture and it changes with technology, you know, sort of like how, you know, you know, the like the flying saucers, uh, you know, it, even the, the um, even the entities themselves have changed throughout the years. It's, it's sort of like it, it really does. So it, it kind of really sort of goes along with possibility of how we are also part of this that of how you know that our consciousness and how we see this is sort of in entangled into the experience so it's it's almost like a shared experience so it's like you know popular you know what's become very popular now is you know seeing the gray aliens um, you know, so a lot of people are now starting to see them because it's been popularized. It really has, you know, um, from, um, you know, since communion and the author who wrote that. Um, yeah, Whitley Striver. Yep. Yeah, Whitley Striver. Striver, yes. yes. It's on the desk right there. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I think that it's, 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 um, it's our manifestation also. It's sort of a, you know, intertwined thing that's, that's going on because, I mean, you know, people also have different views and different experiences and, you know, and how we see things, you know, people are going to, you know, each individual may see something completely different, yeah you know, than the yeah. other people. And this is what's interesting about it, because it does seem to morph and it does seem to change its face, right? And even Valet, um, I know um, John Keel, of course, um, and then... That's um, who I was thinking of. Oh, yeah. yes. There yeah. you go. Uh, John Keel, of yeah. course. And uh, I did talk to yes. uh, Brent the other day. Yeah. He's fantastic. He yeah. said books in the mail. Sweetheart. Um, so his episode was wonderful. And yeah. Bob. Bob Davis here. He sent me his today. Whoosh. Oh, yes. I have that. Man, he is so oh. cool. Uh, and yes. all of those guys I met through your book. So it's like this hub of just incredible stuff. So back to the UFOs. So it, it does seem to be that they that they do kind of shift form and that there's other things associated with them appearing the way that they do. And I've talked about on the show a couple times before how like the Vikings back in the day, they saw wooden ship. They reported wooden ships. You know, they didn't say metal or they had metal. They could have described it as a brushed um, stainless steel like you did, Barbara. But they didn't. They described it as a wooden ship floating in the sky. Now, they could create wooden ships that would sail, but they couldn't make them fly. And then like with us, with like the Kenneth Arnold with his Delta wing, and then you move on to the flap over, um, you know, 47 with Roswell. And then you've got 
uh, the flyover of the Capitol, and all of those were the disc, right? And they kind of follow, like they were more art deco back then, right? And then they've turned into orbs and they've turned into all kinds of things. And it is, it does seem to shift with our conscious or our perception about it. So do you think that if enough people got together and said that they look like, I don't know, like a beetle, you know, like a, like a big beetle or like a dragon or something, <laughs> and they thought about that, that one would appear in that way? I, 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 I believe it. I do. I mean, it's, it's the power of manifestation. Mm-hmm. You know, it goes along with, you know, um, thoughts become things, you know, and how, how we create those things. Um, it really does. I mean, does it make it not real? I don't think so. I mean, they, it's still real. I think it's how we perceive it. It's, it's so mind-blowing when you really think about it. Doing this show for this long, I don't know what's real anymore. I don't know if real is a real <laughs> thing. I'll be honest with you. I have great, amazing conversations like the one that we're having now that constantly challenge my perception of what and, or possibility. And so I'm just open to all of it, man. I think it's all great. But it is interesting how like the CE5 guys, like uh, Greer and his team, they'll call in things with the power of the mind. And then it's like, you know, I'm reminded of Lynn, Tag- Lynn McTaggart's work with the power of eight, the intention setting stuff with the human. I love people. Lynn McTaggart. Oh, yes. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. I was part of the intention experiment. Were you really? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, tell me about um, that. Yes. Um, that's well. I mean, you know, when when it all started, you know, she had a huge forum called the Intention Experiment, and um, so she was conducting experiences. I mean, experiments <laughs> with that, <clears throat> and she would put us, and she would put us into, you know, groups. And this is before she wrote The Power of Eight, because she also wrote, um, before the intention experiment, she wrote um, The Field. I'm a big Lynn McTaggart fan. Oh, my I gosh. I'm so that. glad you are, too. It's like Garth yeah, Brooks um, For a couple of, yeah, so <clears throat> we were in different groups, and what we would do is we would manifest things. We would have experiments, experiences, experience, oh, my gosh, experiments with manifestation. So, yeah, we would, we would, we, you know, we would try different things. We would try to change things. There was one person that we were attempting to heal. And so we would, you know, we would all meditate at the same time. And, you know, at this, this person that we were sending healing thoughts to their whole block, it's like the, um, everything just kind of exploded like um you know the lights went off and went went out and you know it's it's really neat i i i um i really really that's that sort of started me you know in all of this my journey was uh lynn mctaggart's work but yes it's um quite fascinating it, it is fascinating and so to to this point then i mean maybe because I get I get caught between the conspiracies and the ideas and stuff like that. Um, you know, it, it's always kind of with that filter, you know, that I think that most of it's bullshit, right? Uh, like what's going on around us and stuff like that. But it, it is something that maybe if there is some power out there that knows how to manipulate human beings in this way, like the world that we've ended up with now, where a few slip through the cracks. It's like a colander, like a strainer, right? Not all of the water, you know, not all the stuff goes through, but a little bit will, like like all of us, I guess, sitting here now that I'm a manifester and I'm in your club. But it's it's <laughs> it's very interesting how... All of these things combined uh, could manipulate humanity into believing that they're not as powerful as they are. Because what happens when you start talking about UFOs, 
you get, you get that look in people's eyes because they want to fit in. And then they've been told that they're a conspiracy theorist, which has this bad connotation to it or negative connotation to it, which is unfortunate because conspiracies are dope. And you're probably on to something, which is why they say that, right? So it, it feels now, though, with all of the, I don't care if you want to call it the Ascension um, 2021, whatever, there's something going on planet-wide to where people are now starting to figure out that we are way more powerful than we were before. And I think that a lot more people are waking up. There have been a lot of heel digging in with the people that are not going to wake up in, in the sense of the word. But there does seem to be a mass consciousness shift. And, um, you know, I always ask the question on the show, or I often ask the question on the show to people, you know, if you had a genie bottle, you get three wishes, what would they be? Uh, one time somebody asked me that, and I said, uh, I'd only need one wish, and that is for the consciousness of humanity to raise to its next level. And the the thing about that and why I wish for that is, because that's when you take away um, child abuse, that's when you take away animal abuse. Nobody would do such things if they realized that next level of consciousness. It seems to be this, I don't know, like... Uh, a level that some people in this world seem to be stuck on. So what's what's some advice or what's some observations that people can do? You know, and one thing uh, before you all answer that, I know this is a lot, but here we go. So one thing that I'm interested in, too, is maybe couples want to get together with this power of intention and do something to manifest something, you know, because we, we find a lot of division between the male-female form or any partner, right? There's There's kind of a societal, I don't want to say joke, but people joke about it. Oh, my husband is so stupid or, oh, my God, my wife's such a bitch or whatever. But it's like this perpetuated, you know, dissonance yeah. that, that doesn't exist yeah. for my wife and I. I mean, we just don't fall into that crap. And she'll even come home and say, oh, my God, the ladies at work today talk so bad about their husbands. And it's it's unfortunate. So do you think that that's another way that they're whoever the they is, is trying to hold us back from our true power is by dividing us in all of these different ways, even in within the household so that we don't realize how powerful we are? It's all about divide and conquer. You know, it's all about, you know, commercials and, and um, consumer, consumerism and falling for, you know, what society tells us to do. You know, they want to keep us asleep. They want to keep us, mm -hmm. you know, stupid, you know, so that we can keep, you know, feeding the rich and the rich and the rich and have you know and and divide and have this world divided this world should be one so you know when i think about you know manifestation and the law of attraction we are powerful beings can you imagine what thousands of us can do we can literally change the world overnight mm -hmm. yeah. you know with our thoughts so that is very dangerous you know to people who want to be able to control the world, to keep the rich, the rich, to keep the poor, poor, to keep them stupid, yeah. to keep them consumers, <laughs> you know, um, yes. Can you imagine how powerful, you know, we can be if we just stood together and have mm -hmm. those thoughts of prosperity, of healing, of oneness, you know, it can change the world overnight. And yes, I, I feel yeah. like we are approaching that. And we're just kind of, we, we're just kind of coming, you know, we're, we're, we're experiencing the growing pains of that. You know, it takes some, you know, major shift shifting to happen. But yeah, I mean, that's what we're all about, right? That's what you are about right now, is you're yeah. trying to, you know, share that. You're trying to, you know, share the word. Yeah, that's it. That's what it's all about. Um, Barbara, what do you think? 
Well, I was just going to say what Lynn did, you know, about you. And you say you haven't had experiences and all that, which we think you have. But you're, people like you are helping with the shift, right? I, I mean, the word's got to get out there. And, and it's so important. I can't tell you how grateful I am that you're doing this and how important. For me, though, you know, when I was little, materialist, materialism never made any sense to me, right, growing up. And I never cared about it. It made, I mean, it makes your life easier and all that. But I could never understand civilization and humanity. I didn't get why people, you know, had to, why war started, why religion was so divisive, why there was so much division and not collaboration and not trying to help one another. It really made no sense to me as a child. And it's still, I mean, I'm not naive. I know, you know, obviously we're, that's how it is. But it doesn't fit with who I am. And I think a lot of times, I, and I've said this to my husband, I think I've said it to Lynn, you know, I've told him, you know, I just want to go home. I don't belong here. I don't belong here. Like, I don't belong in a divisive place. And he'll go, what do you mean? What do you mean you want to go home? What do you mean you don't belong here? You're not suicidal, are you? Oh, my God. Do you need to go to a therapist? I'm like, no. It's just the vision I have for humanity, the vision I have for a shift in paradigm. It's happening, but it's happening for me. Maybe I'm impatient. It's happening very slowly. And I just want to grab everyone and shake them and say, hey, open your eyes up. <laughs> so, yeah, I was that weird little kid that came into the world thinking this place is like nuts. You know, why? Why do people act like this? But I do think it's shifting. I do think it's changing. And Brandon, you are helping with that, whether you realize it or not. Big time. A lot. It's very sweet of you all to say that. I, I just. I do this because I enjoy it. I like people. I like connecting and I like talking about the idea. So if it, it plays a benefit in someone's life, then that's beautiful. Yeah. I think it's bigger than me, it but does. thank you very oh, much. Oh, yeah. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it never made sense to me either. The uh, people living on the street, uh, kids going hungry, um, people having to pay to survive, like just to live, just yeah. basic, basic stuff. Uh, that's still weird to me. I mean, you know, part of me, and I mean, I'm from Texas, like born and raised. So there's, there's definitely a... I'm not political at all, but there's definitely kind of a bootstraps um, type of a work ethic that I was instilled on as a child. And uh, I've it's led me to great things because my work, I've got a fantastic workout, work ethic. If I could brag on myself just a little bit, I get shit done. But it's not um, out of fear of not achieving something. It's because I genuinely right. have a true desire to be productive and to, and to connect and to learn new things and to explore this world, whatever the hell it is, for all of the amazing stuff that it is and it, getting to talk to ladies like you and people like y'all and having conversations like this has blown my damn mind because I don't know about y'all, but there's not a lot of people in Millsap, Texas that I can talk to population 400. Um, my donkeys have heard all of this and they're, over it. they're absolutely over it. I'll be sitting outside looking at the moon and I'm like, you know, that shit's not real. Right. And she's so sweet. Um, they just kind of sit there and let me vent. But um, no, it, it is interesting. And I think that the global shift uh, is what's needed right now. And it's what's very important. So what I like about your book is everything cover to cover. It's a fantastic read. Y'all have written it very well. The dance between the two narratives. You can't tell two people wrote it. It feels like one mind, uh, right. especially I don't know if you'll notice this, but as the book went on, you guys just kind of molded into the same person. I don't know if you guys 
I thought that out. The only way in writing style I was able to really tell because it'd be like Lynn's experience is, and then it'd, but it, yeah. it was really cool to kind of see the evolution in it. And like I was talking about, about like Brent Rains and Bob Davis, and you've got so many incredible stories uh, in there. So what is one of your favorite folks that you got to help you out with the book? Uh, Lynn, let's start with you. Okay. That's sort of hard. Um, I know it's like um, me, like well, asking me um, for a favorite guest. How about one that just intrigued you the most? Cause I couldn't answer the guest one for sure. Well, okay. Um, there's one story from Bob Peterson and it's, it, it's, it's really cool because um, me and Bob, you know, we were friends on Facebook for a long time before I realized that, I had one of his books. I didn't even know he was an author, an OBE author. So that was, you know, really exciting because, you know, because we were friends on Facebook and it's like, well, Bob, okay, you're, you know, on, on your book, it says Robert Peterson, but on Facebook, it's Bob. And it's really neat because throughout the years, you know, he was part of a, you know, he was, <clears throat> he was very pivotal in my growth, you know, during these trying to understand these experiences. So, you know, it was very exciting, you know, knowing, you know, through him and him sharing his experiences and me sharing mine to his, to his, to him, you know, on a couple, on a several different Facebook groups, you know, that, you know, you know, led to my growth and everything. So having him as part of the book was very, very exciting to me. So it was, you know, to, to have such a dear friend and he is, he's awesome too. If you ever want to try to get in touch with him too, he's got an amazing sense of humor. Too. Yeah. He's funny. Um, we're talking about Bob Peterson. Yeah. So, he's so yeah, funny. He's very funny. <laughs> very cool. Yeah. Well then I will have to reach out for him. We are friends on Facebook as well. I went through and kind of uh, stalked a few people after I'd read your book and that's how I uh, got in touch with Brent and Bob uh, Davis as well. But yeah, I'll, uh, I'll get with him for sure. Um, because it's just like this whole pack of amazing people that you guys got together. It's like you have this incredible soul tribe that you were able to bring in. And and like I said, ladies, the, what's so cool about this is that you are experiencers as well, but you're also scientists. I mean, you look at this analytically, and this is one of the things, uh, and we'll probably touch on this and wrap here in just a little bit, but one of the final things that I want to talk to you all about is about marrying the science and the philosophy, about marrying the physics and the ideas. It, it seems to be that that's honestly going to be the only way that this can work. Now, when I talked to Bob Davis, our, our episode together, I was, exp I was talking to him about how just the observation that science really ignores the UFO phenomena in particular. I know you guys cover a lot of stuff, but let's just, f for the example's sake, say the UFO phenomena in particular, because scientists, open scientists in the, in the, you know, forefront won't acknowledge it as a thing and they deny the hell out of it completely, the phenomena altogether, because they say there's no evidence, but there's tons of evidence. The people who have been doing the scientific research and recording it are the people who are experiencers. So whether you're a scientist or not, a lot of people have been taking this under their own observation and trying to deduce what's going on here. And that's why I think you have so many different ideas and you've got this expanded version of what the that's why i think there are so many theories about the phenomenon i mean are they from other planets uh, are they interdimensional interterrestrial uh you know time machines coming from the future there are so many cool ideas and i think it's because scientists have stayed the hell away from it that you came up with the all these people independent researchers have been coming up with these incredible ideas but 
I'm ready for scientists to step in, like Dr. Michael P. Masters. I've had him on, anthropologist, wrote a book about his hypothesis that, you know, that um, UFOs are future humans coming back in time machines. I love this idea because time travel, it's badass, right? But And, and ladies like yourselves uh, who are doing this real work here, neuroscientist Bob Davis looks into this as well. I mean, there's there are so many really cool scientists and educators that I think that it, it's unfortunate that it's going to take something like that, but I'm grateful now that you guys are starting to take a look at this stuff. So what do you think is the next step for the phenomenon? Let's start with Barbara. What do you think is the next step for the phenomenon? The next step as far as the raising research, awareness or just the, uh, oh. the research, getting more mainstream, getting Neil deGrasse Tyson to shut well, the hell this up. Is, and yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, when you asked Lynn, who she most resonated with in the book, right? I have two people. One of them is, is Heather um, Rivera, because she was my dissertation mentor when I was getting my PhD. But I would have to say Erica McKenzie, who, yeah, she uh, had a near death. Yeah, she had a right, she's a registered nurse and she had a profound near death experience. Yeah. And this is her, this is what she does now. Okay. The near death experience completely changed her paradigm, like blew her away, absolutely blew her away. And because she was a registered nurse, and even when she went for her initial training, you know, way back when, she was really, really upset that there wasn't, um, like a compassionate patient-centered care component on the psych board, right? And she felt that some of the people on the psych board actually may have had some type of extraordinary experience and were being labeled as delusional, right? Or just psychotic. So she's always been very sensitive about that. So this is one of the directions that I feel we're going in. It's really important to me. Um, Erica has worked tireless, tirelessly, if I can say that today, with and taken the stage all over the world because she is working with medical schools along with others to actually write new curriculum. Okay. So there'll be revised curriculum that is sensitive to experience of all kinds, near death experiencers, anybody who's had any type of uh, a spiritual um, crisis, say, right? And, um, and it, it's changing the way they look and define, um, in other words, something they may have previously defined or labeled as crazy or weird outside of our paradigm. We don't do that. This isn't traditional medicine or traditional science. As they're getting educated, it's opening up their minds. And as a result, they're becoming much kinder, more compassionate, more understanding. Um, some of their paradigms are shifting. And this is not only happening in medical schools, it's happening in curriculum in, you know, some really well-known colleges. And Erica was a global ambassador to um, John Hopkins University, which did a worldwide research study on um, these psi phenomena. So this is becoming commonplace in places like Princeton and and even the University of Edinburgh all over the world. So educationally and medically and scientifically, I mean, I think this is phenomenal, you know, to actually 
rewrite framework in, in which to look at this and, and gain a completely different understanding. I'm excited about this. I'm very, very excited about this. I share your excitement and enthusiasm. I think this is great. This is the time, right? It's now. Uh, yeah, and I wanted to, to, oh, sorry. I just wanted to add one more thing if I could. Um, I'm so passionate about this that I signed up for training. It's not until early 2022. But people that are having spiritually transformative experiences and going through like a, a spiritual crisis, like you mentioned Bob Davis, he did. He had a Kundalini awakening and he went, you know, I was trying to help him with that. But I think it's so important to be there for people that are going through this and to have them be able to share and express without being labeled, you know, or invalidated that the training I'm going to take is to become a group facilitator for people that have had spiritually transformative experiences. So they have a safe place, a place to talk, maybe expand their, their paradigm, um, help integrate the experience because that's what I'm saying. It's part of this whole re-education and a shift in how you perceive people and their experiences. Because this is one thing I think is really important. Even if say a traditionalist or, you know, somebody that doesn't believe in non-locality or experiences, even if they don't believe it, it's really real to the person experiencing it. And I think we have to honor that, you know? So yeah, completely agree. And there's a lot of people that do study this stuff and don't believe in it at all. I study the hell out of it, have never personally experienced to that level yeah. what you're talking about. Right. And I think it's wonderful, of course. And it's not my job to invalidate anybody else's experience. And I don't think it should be anybody else's either, because it's all very personal. Right. Whatever you go through, it's very right. personal. You can't prove that it wasn't. Uh, so, Lynn, what do you think our next step is with marrying the science and the phenomena together? I mean, you know, the scientific method is is very flawed, you know, in, in how it, you know, presents, you know, the experimentation, the data and things like that, because, you know, even a person who's conducting experiment experiments can, you know, have a great influence on the outcome. So, you know, that's part of the law of attraction. So, yeah, it's it's it is science is definitely flawed in that, um, you know, I was. You know, when it comes to, you know, the, the exciting things that are going on in the world right now with the UAP stuff, you know, the, you know, you know, you know, it's like, should we depend upon the government to be able to give us this information? You know, instead of, you know, we have all these amazing people out there like Brent Rains and all these types of people that are out there in the field that really do have a better understanding, you know, of, of what's going on because they're out there, they're interviewing people, you know, they're going to the places, you know, they, they have all this field experiment experience that the government doesn't even seem to even want to do or has any mm -hmm. understanding of it, you know. Um, but, you know, to me in all of this, <clears throat> you know, I could never really, you know, because I, you know, I have a science background and I had to try to understand it as scientifically as possible. You know, it, it, it's going to take, you know, quite a bit of the understanding of quantum mechanics and things like that, because, you know, this is not, you know, Newtonian physics anymore. You know, it goes beyond 
mechanical, the mechanical universe. It really does. We're moving. So it's like it's part of having to move away from, you know, um, standard science, which is all mechanical. You know, we have to move into something different to understand all of this. I mean, I don't know exactly how to answer that, but I mean, it's sort of like how science and religion are basically the same side of the, of the corn or science and spirituality. It's the same thing. You know, it, it really is. It's like, you know, trying to find what God is, what the universe is, what the divine consciousness is. It's really the same thing. So it's, it's almost like you have to kind of look at it as the same thing instead of something completely separate. You know, duality is pretty much what has destroyed this world. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And uh, there is a cool book uh, by Mel Schwartz. I had him on called The Possibility Principle. And he talks about this, the difference between the mechanistic world and the participatory reality that we actually live in, not this mechanistic uh, Newtonian physics type of reality like was fine before. Right. It got us to this point. But this is the change. This is the turn in the page here. We're ready to, to explore all these greater, grander topics and we're ready to get funding for it. That's the big deterrent on this stuff, because if people in general, of course, we're generalizing, but you start as you know a physicist or something looking into this and then all of a sudden your funding's cut it's like what the hell are we doing is it science or not and then the people that say the science is settled on this both of you are scientists do you think that the science has ever settled on anything hi never never it's always changing yeah yeah i agree and this is what's interesting about it. I think this is the next step with books like yours. I mean, and I put yours, your book, ladies, in the in the category of holographic universe and into upside down thinking by Mark Gober. I mean, these are this is the type like you're up there as far as this type of style of book. It's it's fantastic. So, of course, I will be linking in the show notes all of this stuff, ladies. Uh, Barbara, we'll start with you. Did you have any way you wanted to sign off? And we'll probably cap it for this one, but I'm going to have you back on. I'm already setting up a panel with um, Bob and Brent. So we're going to do like a big discussion. I think what I'm going to do is just have all the people that have been in your book, and we'll just all get together and have a have a conversation about all these amazing topics. Does that okay. sound good? Cool? Yeah. Um, Sounds great. I just wanted to – yeah. Um, All I wanted to say is, you know, the bottom line is, is that Lynn and I think of ourselves as experiencers first and foremost. I mean, we really do. And I just have a little saying that, you know, it's kind of like one of my little things. And I always say the experiential is just as important as the science and experiencers know. We just know what science is trying to prove. You know why? Because we've had that experience. What is an experience, right? I mean, how do you prove love? How do you prove? uh, There's certain things that are very difficult to prove. And when you're a lifelong experiencer, you may not have the technical terms necessarily or the mathematical skill to say present it in a, you know, some type of of, uh, findings or research studies. But we understand it in a in just like a really holistic, um, big picture way. So, yeah, that's so I, that's just like what I like to say. Um, but it, we have to marry them. Uh, I don't know. I think it's science. And again, you know, I wish the funding were there. I think that would help move this forward. And the reason we wanted to include all these people that we're talking about in the book is we thought that was so important. Here are people from all different types, you know, walks of life, basically. 
And through their either research or their personal experiences, we've all come to the same conclusion, right? And so that's sort of like a little microcosm of the world. And if we could reach a broader base of people and bring this in to the mix, I mean, just think of how that would shift paradigm. So this was intentional. We intended to, to do this, to bring um, these people into the book. I love it. It's perfect. And I get why you did it. It's so well done. It's chapter eight. You just mm-hmm. get into it. It's it's fantastic. And it's like if science could explain th- something like dreams, like if they could just go, oh, here's what dreams are, uh, something that everybody except for me apparently experiences. Um, <laughs> most normal people experience them if you're not a clone. <laughs> then you're dreaming. Uh, and then like deja vu, like if you could explain that, I think, you know, let's let's focus on that. Maybe we stair step into poltergeist activity. You know, let's start with deja vu, because that's something that everybody can relate to dreaming, stuff like that. Well, and Right. jump on into um, UFOs and, and transdimensional stuff and time travel. I'm all about that. I'm ready for the time travel stuff. So, uh, Lynn, uh, what, what are your final thoughts for this? Well, I mean, you know, we are so much more than our physical bodies. You know, we are masters of the universe. You know, our consciousness continues, you know, beyond, you know, death. We are so much more you know, than, than what we are. We, we are so powerful, you know, we are such powerful beings. And, um, you know, so having these experiences, you know, make me realize that there's so much, so much more out there that we can, you know, experience that we can discover. And it's such an amazing adventure. It is such an amazing journey. And, you know, that's, it's part of who we are. It's part of our human experience. Because as human beings, we are interdimensional beings. We are so much more. And that's pretty much, you know, kind of like the big picture of how look at. It's beautifully said. I love it. And I love you for your time, both of you. Thank, Thank you. you so much. We will Thank do you. this again. Uh, your soul tribe. So let's do this again. And yeah, we'll, we'll do something cool like that with a panel with the people that you've had in here. Uh, we'll get a hold of Erica, of course. And I've got the, I've got Bob and Brent on retainer. So we can just go ahead and get them involved as well. <laughs> they, they said they're ready to go. So. Uh, every, everybody involved in this project is fantastic, by the way. Y'all are just so much fun and so great. I can't wait. I, I want to hook you guys up with like a documentary filmmaker or something like that. I'll have Darcy reach out to you. A good friend of mine, Darcy Ware, and y'all need to make a movie on your book. Um, just Especially just the interviews and explaining the ideas. I think that would be really, really cool. Lynn's down. She's on it. Okay. Um, and no using the excuse of your appendix because you've already, you've already pulled that one, so we can't do that. <laughs> Ladies, just wanted to thank you so much for your work and so much for your time. Y'all keep moving forward. We'll keep up with you for sure. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been great. Appreciate it. Namaste. A massive thanks to Barbara Mango and Lynn Miller for coming on and talking about their book, Convergence, The Interconnection of Extraordinary Experiences. Check the link below in the description, guys, to procure this incredible book. It is fascinating, and I highly recommend. Uh, 10 out of 10 would recommend. So as far as this show goes, guys, you can find us at expandingrealitypodcast.com. That is where the links to all of the socials will be found. The video version of this, if you're an audio-only listener, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's an option. There's a YouTube 
YouTube version of all this stuff. We put all the interviews up so you can see everybody's beautiful faces and see us all interact uh, visually if you prefer that medium. So you can do that from the website or just go to YouTube. Um, also on the website is Patreon. If you find the show valuable and you're like, man, what can I do besides liking, sharing, and enjoying this show, which I always approve of. I love that. Thank you all so much for everything. Uh, then you can do so at Patreon. Contribute as little or as much as you'd like. Uh, I'm grateful for all of it, guys. So thank you all so much. The music that you were hearing underneath this, of course, good friend of the show, great friend of mine, Vinny the Saint. Check his link down in the show notes as well and check out some amazing music that he makes. Incredibly grateful, Vinny. Thank you, my friend. So this week, guys, go out into your world and uh, pick up a piece of litter. Don't litter, first of all, but pick up a piece of litter. Um, be nice to animals, of course, everywhere you're at. Be nice to each other by buying somebody in line behind you a coffee or a meal or a book of stamps or something to that nature, guys. It doesn't have to be massive. Whatever you can, but it makes a massive, massive difference. And this is the only reason I keep advocating for it, because it does make such a massive difference on a huge scale, uh, bigger than you think. The ripple, ripple effects of that are massive. The ripple effects are also massive of you getting out of the left-hand lane. Thank you all so much for doing that. A lot of people have reached out saying that they didn't even know that was a thing, and it is a thing. We've got a lot of people moving here uh, from other places to Texas, so just wanted to let you know. I don't know how y'all do stuff in um, wherever you came from. Let's say California, for instance. We're grateful you're here, but uh, get out of the left-hand lane because we uh, Texans are a little bit different. So um, other than that, guys, go out into your world this week and just be a good to one another. Thank y'all so much for listening. We'll see you next time.